Thank you, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome the opportunity to come into your home. Uh, I would like to know what your position is on nonviolence. Well, nonviolence is one of the things that has disarmed the so-called Negro here in America. And any Negro leader who teaches our people to be nonviolent in the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime for any Negro leader to teach our people uh, not to do something to protect our people in the face of the violence that is inflicted upon us by the white people here in America. And whenever you teach a man to turn the other cheek or to be nonviolent, what you're actually doing is disarming the victim of white uh, brutality. You're robbing him of his right to defend himself. In fact, the only time it's intelligent to be nonviolent is when you're dealing with someone else who's nonviolent. I'm nonviolent with those who are nonviolent with me. This is intelligent. But just as you see other people doing whatever is necessary to protect themselves, it's time today for the 22 million Afro-Americans to feel free to do whatever is necessary to protect ourselves. You take for an example, in the Constitution it gives uh, a person the right to have a rifle or a shotgun. And in areas uh, in this country where the government has proven itself either unwilling or unable to defend the black people, it is time for the black man to stand up and start defending himself. Not to go out and initiate acts of aggression against uh, whites or initiate acts of aggression against anyone, but in areas where we see that the government will not protect us or defend us or find those who have brutalized us and made us the victim for the past 400 years, then it is time for us to do whatever is necessary to defend ourselves. And it should be emphasized that by this I don't mean that we should go out and look for trouble or start trouble or initiate acts of aggression, but we should feel that we are within our human rights, our civil rights, and within the rights of intelligence to do whatever is necessary when we are attacked to defend ourselves. In fact, the best thing to teach our people is never to be the aggressive, never to look for trouble. But anytime anyone makes any effort to brutalize us or to inflict wounds upon us, we should feel that we are within our rights to do whatever is necessary to repel them. Do nothing unto anyone, but always do whatever is necessary to keep others from doing to you, which they've been doing for the past 400 years, making us the victims of brutality. But is it not a fact, Minister, that uh, people like Dr. Martin Luther King, who have advocated nonviolence, have been successful with their nonviolent moves? Well, they've been successful in going to jail. Uh, they've been successful in becoming the victims of police dogs and uh, police clubs and water hoses. Uh, if Dr. Martin Luther King feels that this is the best way to gain freedom, justice, and equality for our people in this country, well and good. I have no criticism of him whatsoever, but I think that the time has come now where the masses of black people feel that nonviolence shouldn't be taught to us unless it's also taught to the white people in this country. And black people shouldn't be taught to turn the other cheek unless the white people are taught to turn the other cheek. Now, if Dr. Martin Luther King can be so successful in disarming Negroes, they should send him to Russia and let him disarm the Russians, let him disarm some of these other countries where... That may sound good in philosophy, Minister Malcolm, but uh, I still have to take the stand that Dr. King has been a degree successful with the non-violence uh, movement. Now, let's take the March on Washington, for instance. Was this not something that exemplified the feeling of the Negro and made everyone very, very happy? 
It depends on whether or not anything was gotten out of it. In fact, yes, it probably made them happy. Most of the people I saw involved in the March on Washington looked very, very happy. In fact, they looked too happy to be involved in a Negro revolt. So that uh, insofar as the March on Washington producing meaningful results, most of the masses of black people today and this year are beginning to see where nothing came of it other than the fact that it gave many of the bourgeois Negroes a chance to feel that they were doing something without really having to do anything. It became a status symbol. Just like going to the uh, Kentucky Derby is a status symbol for those who know nothing about horses. They like to be able to say they went to the Kentucky Derby and they can't tell a horse from a cow. Or the Rose Bowl game. They like to be able to say they went to the Rose Bowl game and they don't know a football from a baseball. But the fact that they can say they went to the Rose Bowl game is a status symbol. Or the fact that they can say they went to the Kentucky Derby is a status symbol. So many Negroes took the opportunity to say that they were in the March on Washington. Not that it produced anything, or not that they really felt that they were involved in a Negro revolution, but it gave them a chance to say, I was there. It was a status symbol. But status symbols don't take us out of the alleys and out of the ghettos and out of the slums. Status symbols don't remove segregated school systems. Status symbols don't get meaningful civil rights legislation. So when it comes to the March on Washington and all of these other nonviolent approaches, they were good in their day. But this is a new day, and it's a new Negro. But we will have to agree, uh, Minister Malcolm, that the March on Washington was the forerunner to the creation of, or at least to the uh, presentment of, the Civil Rights Bill. Without this type of approach, I doubt seriously that the Civil Rights Bill would have even been entered onto the floor. Uh, a horse can enter into the race and come so far from the finish line that you don't even know that that horse was in the race. And since the March on Washington was designed to produce meaningful civil rights legislation, and if I recall, I heard several of the leaders of it point out that we'll be back if the bill uh, meets with any kind of opposition come September. They said this in August. Now, September passed, and the bill, it didn't even come up. Uh, October passed, November passed, uh, December passed, the year passed, everything passed, and the bill hasn't been passed yet. Are you saying that you feel a more violent approach to it would cause this bill to be passed? Uh, it's not a case of violence. And I think that uh, our people should never let themselves be trapped intellectually into thinking that whenever they do something to defend themselves against the violence of the white man, that they're being violent. But you're advocating violence. No, we're, we're advocating uh, the necessity of black people defending themselves against the violence of the white man because the American government has already proven itself either unable or unwilling to defend us as it should do. Well, the white man hasn't gone out to create any uh, marches, nor has he gone out to uh, do anything that would uh, make the people in the communities feel that he was opposed by law to their thinking. No, all he has done is sick his police dogs on innocent black women and babies. All he has done is put his fire hoses on innocent women and children, black women and children. Or all he has done is uh, shoot Medgar Evers in the back. Or he has bombed the church in Birmingham, Alabama and murdered four innocent little girls. Or he has shot down young boys from their bicycle as they were riding innocently through the street. That's all he has done. Well, you feel that this uh, is a cause for the Negro to take on the uh, violent act? It's not a case of the Negro taking on a violent act, but it's a case of the Negro doing what is necessary to defend himself against the violent acts of the whites. 
since the government has refused to defend the Negro. The church was bombed and the government has done nothing about it. Medgar Evers was murdered and the government has done nothing about it. Emmett Schill and Charles Mack Parker were murdered and the government has done nothing about it. But at the same time, the government is in South Vietnam trying to tell them what to do. The government is in Berlin trying to tell them what to do. The government is in Africa trying to tell them what to do. But it cannot get its own people here in Mississippi and Alabama and New York City and tell them what to do. I'd like to know why you place so much emphasis on calling the freedom struggle among Afro-Americans in this country a struggle for human rights rather than civil rights. Well, most of our people don't even know the meaning of civil rights. And by not knowing what it is they're actually trying to get, it has uh, eluded us for the past uh, 100 years. Civil rights is supposed to mean citizenship. Uh, when you have civil rights, you have citizenship. When you have citizenship, you have civil rights. And if the uh, 22 million Afro-Americans were actually citizens of this country, it wouldn't be necessary to pass any kind of uh, additional legislation to include us in the Constitution. If you notice, uh, whenever the uh, people come here from Europe, uh, they can come here from Poland, which is a communist country. They, they don't need any legislation to make this Polish person uh, a citizen. They don't need any additional civil rights legislation to make the refugees from uh, Hungary who come here citizens. They don't need any additional uh, legislation to make anyone who comes to this country a citizen. But when it comes to the rights of the black people who are the descendants of slaves, then immediately uh, new legislation is necessary. Uh, so this right here uh, implies that when the Constitution was written, in some way or other, it must have excluded those of us who were slaves at that time. And because we were excluded from the Constitution when it was originally written, today they have to amend it in order to include us. Uh, but if you notice, the Civil War didn't include us in the Constitution. Had the Civil War Constitution, we would be citizens today. Had the amendments even to the Constitution actually included us, we would, we would be citizens today. If the Supreme Court desegregation decision way back in 1954 was sufficient to include us into the jurisdiction of the Constitution, all of our problems would be solved today. So there's something about civil rights that makes it almost uh, uh, impossible for us to get it. So you have to know the difference between civil rights and human rights. As long as our people are begging for civil rights or they are labeling their struggle for freedom, justice, and equality under the label of civil rights, then what they do is uh, leave us in the jurisdiction of Uncle Sam's court. And it's actually Uncle Sam who is guilty of all of the uh, violation of our rights that have taken place in this country. So when you go to Uncle Sam to try and get some kind of redress over civil rights uh, violations, you're taking your case to the man who's responsible for the, for the violation. So the only way our people can really get some meaningful results, it has to be taken out of Uncle Sam's hands and taken into a world court, in the world court that has been set up to listen to the complaints of human rights violations is in the United Nations. Human rights are international and civil rights come within the jurisdiction of the countries where these rights are violated. Some people may wonder why our brothers from Africa and Asia have not spoken out more boldly or without uh, compromise on the injustices that the 22 million Afro-Americans experience in this country. They can't speak out. As long as these uh, injustices are labeled by us 
as civil rights, and this remains a domestic issue, and none of our people from abroad, because of protocol, can become involved in Uncle Sam's domestic problems. So all the civil rights groups have to do is expand the struggle from civil rights to human rights. And once it is expanded to the level of human rights, then this puts us in a position to charge Uncle Sam with violating the UN Charter on Human Rights. We can take it before the United Nations and other nations of this earth can then side with us and indict Uncle Sam for the mistreatment of 22 million Afro-Americans. The very fact that uh, the struggle of the black people in South Africa, or I should say the injustices that have been experienced by black people in South Africa have come, has come before the UN, or the injustices experienced by our own people again in uh, Angola has been brought before the UN. Even the uh, oppression of the Hungarians has been brought before the UN. The uh, plight of the Jews in Soviet Russia, and there's only three million of them in Russia, has been brought before the UN. Well, then why hasn't the problem of the 22 million Afro-Americans come before the United Nations? It has not come before them because the leaders of the civil rights struggle don't understand what civil rights actually amount to. And when they are mature to the point where they can see that their present struggle has kept them under Uncle Sam's jurisdiction and Uncle Sam is not morally uh, capable of solving this problem, then they will shift it out of the courts of Uncle Sam and take it to the courts of the United Nations on the level of human rights and we'll get some kind of meaningful result. As long as we keep it at the civil rights level, we alienate the support of our brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia. But when we shift it to the level of human rights, we have the support of billions of black, brown, red, and yellow people from all over this earth behind us. The United States is a great world power and has in the past exercised a lot of control and power within the United Nations. So how can you expect to wage a successful battle against such a powerful country in a world court? Well, whenever you uh, believe in what the United States has taught us concerning democracy, which means uh, one voice, one vote, uh, uh, this is good because in the present uh, world setup, world governmental setup, as is represented by the United Nations, each country there has one vote, which means that no matter how wealthy a nation is, it only has one vote. And no matter how poor a nation is, it still has one vote. So the ballot actually equalizes the poor man and the rich man. Uh, back when the United Nations was set up, uh, it consisted uh, largely of white nations, because most of the dark nations were then colonized and weren't uh, independent. Since the uh, dark nations have gained their independence have, and have emerged uh, on the scene, Today in the UN, you have more dark nations who are in a position to vote in a block than you have white nations. So that uh, we have a situation now where the grouping together of the dark nations who formerly were colonized has given them enough political power to offset the, the military power and prestige of these mighty uh, white nations of the West. And it is their support. It is only in the United Nations where everyone has the doubt, where everyone has equal vote that the plight of the black man can be given a just hearing and the weight of the dark world can be come down on our side and balance the scale on our side. But whenever you take it into the white man's court, you never will get justice because the white man is the guilty one who committed the crime in the first place. It's like taking your case from the wolf to the fox to take it to Washington, D.C. I don't think I wholeheartedly go along with that, uh, Mr. Malcolm. I uh, have some appreciation for your discussion as regards to uh, 
the uh, human right and uh, the civil right. But here in America, as a band of Negroes, I think the most progressive thinking that we could possibly attain is civil rights. This is the thing that we want. This is the thing that we hope to get. This is the thing that we're going out to fight for. Without our civil rights, the human rights, and the rest of the elements are, are non-entities as far as Human rights concerned. come before civil rights. Human that rights. may be so, but the civil rights are an important factor. You can never get uh, civil rights until you have human rights. Human rights represent the right to be a human being. Whenever you are respected and recognized as a human being, your civil rights are automatic. But if what? we get civil rights, we are human beings. No, you have, no you have to get the recognition of human rights first. This is why uh, people can come here from Africa and Asia and immediately uh, are able to benefit from what the Constitution stands for because they are recognized as a human being when they touch the shores of North America. But the black people in this country, all of our human characteristics were destroyed by slavery. Our language was destroyed. Our history was destroyed. Our culture was destroyed. And then the white man taught us that we were savages in the jungle at living at a subhuman level. And for this reason, when they put the Constitution together, they classified our people as three-fifths of a man, which meant subhuman, not a complete human being. And once our human characteristics were completely destroyed, this gave them justification for treating us like we were animals. And then and it also justified their selling us from plantation to plantation like you sell a horse and a cow and a bag of wheat. Why, George Washington himself historically is on record as having sold or having traded a black man for a keg of molasses, which shows you he didn't regard that black man as a human being. If the black man's human rights had been respected, he never could have been a slave here in America. And if his human rights had been restored by the Emancipation Proclamation, automatically we would have been citizens right after the Civil War. So we must be uh, regarded as human. Our human rights must be respected before we can ever be regarded as citizens and our civil rights be respected. Minister Matson, who was guilty of the bombing in Birmingham? The government was guilty. The guilt is upon the United States government for the murder of those four little girls who died in that bombing. This didn't happen in Nazi Germany, and it didn't happen in South Africa. It happened right here in America, in Birmingham, Alabama. It didn't happen back in the Dark Ages. It happened in 1963, right after the March on Washington. And it wasn't a dream. This was a nightmare. Where were the leaders? Where was America? Where was the government? The guilt was upon the United States government for those little boys who were shot down right afterward. Because it is the failure of the government to do its job that has given the people of that area the feeling that they can brutalize and victimize and murder the Afro-American in cold blood, knowing that nothing will be done about it. The government was guilty. The government still is guilty. The murderers of those little girls have been brought to justice. Minister Malcolm, do you feel that the government, as charged uh, being guilty, should inject themselves into this? There seems to be some technicality as to the fact that they can't get into this due to the fact that this is a state as against government opposition where the legal matter of it is concerned. Well, it has become impossible for the government in Washington, D.C. to intercede because uh, if you study the structure of the United States government, you'll find that out of 16 senatorial committees that govern this country, 10 of them are in the hands of the senators who are nothing but southern segregationists. Out of the 20 congressional committees that govern the country, 12 of them are in the hands of uh, congressmen who are nothing but southern segregationists. So we can see that the government itself in Washington, D.C. is a segregationist government. And uh, they teach you and me that the South lost the Civil War. 
But at the same time, when we examine the structure of the government, we find that it is run by white racists, by white supremacists, by segregationists who are called dictocrats but are actually nothing but Democrats whose leader is sitting in the White House who himself is also a former senator from a segregationist racist state known as Texas. Well, this may be true, but this does not hamper the fact, Minister Malcolm, that there is a legal procedure. Now, in these bombings, and the question is, who is guilty of them? They didn't have to worry about a legal procedure when they wanted to send troops into South Vietnam. They didn't worry about legal procedures when they wanted to send their troops into Cuba and tell the Cubans what to do. Uncle Sam has never worried about legality whenever he wanted to send his troops wherever his interests were threatened. But when it comes to uh, protecting the lives of 22 million Afro-Americans, then all of a sudden Uncle Sam becomes very conscious of legality. Well, is it a fact that they did send soldiers into Birmingham, Alabama, and on the perimeter they were held? I, I think you'll find that for several weeks when Dr. Martin Luther King and his uh, cohorts were the victims of uh, cattle prods and water hoses and vicious police dogs in Birmingham, they were calling upon Washington, D.C. to come to their rescue. And the only word that they got out of Washington was that no stature had been violated that would allow Washington to intercede, to inject itself into that dispute. But uh, as long as the Negroes in Birmingham, Alabama were being nonviolent and were turning the other cheek, then there was nothing the government in Washington could do about it.